The interesting thing about prayers is that, and I was telling Don, you know, he's talking about, well, the numbers are few. There's not, it's, it's not about numbers. It's about believing God. It's about getting together because how many of you know that nobody can pray for yourself like you can? You have power. You have authority. It is your realm. It is where you are. Nobody can pray for you like you can pray for you. But there are some things that we need to pray about that there's not as much power when you pray for your country not as much authority when you pray for your president or you pray for your school system or you pray for your governor as when you do it together with others. So that's what we call corporate prayer. So that's what these scenarios are about. Now, I'm not saying that we don't pray for each other, that we don't pray for the needs of individuals, but the most important thing that we do is pray for our pastors, pray for the staff, Pray for the growth of the church. Pray for our president, for the United States, for Israel. All of those big topics that as we gather together in corporate prayer, that because of our presence, because of the many people, even if it's two or three, but it's more than just you in your closet praying. And and this is one of the things that you will learn in, in the doing things decently and in order. And that's what you have to do because we try to limit our prayer time to one hour. We don't want to overblow. Everybody's busy, okay? So we try to limit the amount of time that we do prayer to the high topics and some needs. So you have to be succinct and you have to be on target. You know, I, I know some people who are prayers that it's like you can tell them pray for Pastor Jacob or pray for Pastor Bubba and they will pray for every ministry in the world by name and every specific need. So that's, you know, we just need to talk about Pastor Bubba. We just need to pray about and, and we need to be careful with our words and be judicious with what we say, but not pray for 20 minutes because we got five or other topics that we want to cover in in 30 to 40 minutes so just a word of caution okay so here we go this has been the watchword the first scripture that i use is james uh, 5 13 through 16 and basically it says is any among you afflicted let him pray is any merry let him sing psalms any sick among you let him call for the elders of the church And let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of the sick shall save, the prayer of faith shall save the sick. And the Lord shall raise him up, and if he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Confess your faults one to another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. So you can see in this scripture, it talks about prayer, prayer, prayer. My point in all of this, besides the fact that he says over and over about praying for each other, bringing things up in prayer, is that there is a point in the very last scripture, it says the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. There is a correct way to pray. There are right things and wrong things to do when you're praying. Now, caveat here, God is a big God. And if you know anything about Jesus' ministry, you know that he never did anything the same way. 
You know, he spit in mud on somebody's eyes. He touched somebody and healed them. It doesn't have a formula. So we're not trying to say that you have a formula and you have to pray this way. We're trying to say that there are techniques that are more effective than others and things that we do that makes prayer more effective. So we highly suggest that you follow these. I mean, Jesus said that in the end that, you know, that a man will say, Lord, Lord, and he shall be saved. Well, how many know that does not follow the ABC rule that we all know about admitting you're a sinner, believe that he died, and confess your sins? That didn't follow that rule, okay? But Jesus said, if you say, Lord, Lord, you shall be saved. So these are techniques. These are not hard, fast rules. Every time you say, this is what you have to do, Jesus and God will just throw that away. So these are effective things that we've done. So, and what I always say, you bring the fervency and we'll help you with the effectiveness. We can be more effective, okay? So, so the first topic is why pray? First off, if you know anything about the word, faith is one of the most rudimentary, necessary things for a walk of love, a walk with God. The word says that faith worketh by love. So if you don't have love in your heart, then the faith ain't going to work. So you need to work on the love. But it says in, uh, in Hebrews eleven six. but without faith, it's impossible to please him. Talking about God. For he cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. So here we have... The thought of the command that you have to have faith to please, to please him. No matter what you do in your walk as a Christian, without faith, it's impossible to, it's impossible to please him. We're going to talk about faith later on. We're just talking about right now why to pray. Because he's a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. How do you diligently seek him? You have to have a prayer time. You have to have a time when you commune with God. So that you get to know him. It's not about the church. It's not about, I mean, of course, well, let me say this. Of course, it's about your church. We all love our church. I know you love this church. But how many people know, how many of you understand that not everybody's called to come to our Savior's Church of Jennings? First off, you ain't got enough room. That's not a bad thing because you could always build a bigger church do more services. Well, Pastor Josh might not like that. But anyway, so, but you have to, you have to have a relation, a personal relationship with him. So that means personal time. And it's actually prayer. If with true definition is just simply communion with God, communicating with him, you know, um, if you guys are like me, probably 70% of you or more were Catholic. I'm not putting down the Catholic church. Um, I've heard Pastor Jacob say before, if I hear any of my congregation cutting down a Catholic church, I'll ask you not to come to church anymore. The Catholic church in our community basically kept Christianity in this area. If it weren't for the Catholic church, we probably wouldn't have Christianity as we know it. So 
we give the cat we know that they have issues we know things that we don't agree with but how many of you knew that there's probably doctrines and things that we believe that when we get to heaven we're going to find out well that's not really the way it works but for now this is how we know it so it's not about just vain as the bible says vain and repetitious prayer there's nothing wrong with saying an our father because jesus gave it to us but if that's all you can pray then you know, that's not prayer. Prayer is talking to God. But prayer is also listening to God. It's spending time and getting your brain quiet. How many of you would agree with me that, that part of the issue is I can't get my brain to shut up so that God can speak to me? There you go. I mean, it's like, and some people just have that wonderful ability. My wife calls it stepping over a log, you know, just some people have problems getting in the spirit, getting in and. And, and Mary says, it's like just stepping over a log. Just step over it and get in there. But some people have to get their brain to shut up so that they can be quiet. The Bible says, be still and know me. So it's in the quietness of that time that, that God will speak to you. And that's not to say that, you know, something can be going, you're driving down the street and he'll speak to your heart, you know. But in that quiet time, he'll tell you the things that you need to know. He'll give you information that you can't get any other way. He'll help you with the scripture that you're struggling with, etc. So, so it is a, a time of communion. So, um, you know, some people just don't feel the, necess the, the necessity of it. I, you know, I've never prayed and, you know, I'm doing okay. And, but as a Christian, you're not really going to grow unless you spend some time in prayer. I mean, I mean, I'm in, any of you guys know Pastor Randy Duga from Opelousas, I mean, from the Lafayette campus? When we're talking, this guy is a man of prayer. He intimidates me, okay? Because, I mean, he, he prays three and four hours every morning before he starts his day. I'm like, oh, I just can't get there. I mean, he gets up at 3 o'clock in the morning to pray. But, man, when I'm telling you that he's a walking, talking man of God who expounds and you just know it's because of that relationship that you, that he has with Jesus with God with the Holy Spirit inside of him that's spending so much time he's just so full it just overflows from him and I'm you know jealous I guess you could say that not really jealous but it, it's one of those things where I'd love to do that but I can't get my spirit my flesh down that much to get up at three o'clock in the morning to pray you know, I'll get up at five o'clock in the morning or, or six o'clock in the morning and pray for an hour and and read the word, et cetera. But uh, but then I do spend hours in the car several multiple times a week and I listen to the word and pray, et cetera. So anyway, but <clears throat> but some people just don't feel that necessity. So they haven't been there, but it's just a growing thing. You know, I mean, if, if you can only muster five minutes well go for your five minutes but then start shooting for 15 and then after you do 15 for a while then shoot for a half an hour and and because it's it's one of those strange things about that's uh about the word and about a relationship with god it's that the 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 more that you in uh involve yourself in it the more that you put yourself in it the more real it becomes i mean the bible clearly says draw close to me and i will draw close to you so it's not about god 
making you. God doesn't want to make any of us do anything. It's about making the effort to get to know him. Draw close to me and I will draw close to you. You make the first step, not him. Now, he'll chase you to the ends of the earth to get you born again. He will make all kind of circumstances happen to get you born again. But then once you're born again, it's like, tag, you're it. You know, now we spend the rest of our lives chasing him because of we want to know him better. We want to know him more. And it's one of those almost frustrating things as a Christian is like, it doesn't matter how much I know how much I believe, how much I've received, there's always more, you know, and we won't have any of that uh, fulfilled in our lives until we go to be with him. And most people are just not anxious to end what's going on now. You know, it's just, it's what we know. It's the fear of the unknown. I'm not ready to go to heaven. Okay. I want to go to heaven, but I'm not ready yet. So I just continue. So the other big thing is that you know, we all know that Jesus is our example. Well, if you spend any time in the Gospels, you see over and over Jesus praying. He would spend time alone. He would get his disciples. Can't you pray with me just an hour? Um, in uh, Mark 15, Mark 1, 35, in rising up in the morning, in the morning, rising up a great while before day, he went out and departed to a solitary place, and there he prayed. In um, Luke 3.21, he says, Now when all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus, also being baptized and praying, the heaven opened and the Holy Ghost descended in a bodily shape like a dove upon him. And a voice came from heaven and said, Thou art my son, my beloved son, in thee I am well pleased. And what everybody takes away from this always is that the heavens opened up and Jesus said, There's my beloved son, I am well pleased. But look at the very part, very beginning of the scripture. He says, and praying. He was actually praying when all this happened. So this was actually an open communication between Jesus and God. He was praying, and I don't know that I've ever heard very many preachers talk about this, you know. It's always about God opening up the heavens and saying, there's my beloved. He was praying, and God spoke to him where people could hear. Of course, it says some people heard, some people thought it was thunder, you know, depended on their relationship with God. But God answered him. He was praying, and God answered him. And then in Luke... Uh, 26, I'm sorry, Luke 16, 12, which says, And it came to pass in those days that he went out to a mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. Have you ever tried an all-night prayer thing? It is. It's a tough thing to do. I mean, when we first started the prayer thing at Our Savior's Church in Broussard, we're going to do an all-night prayer. My idea, Okay. Well, 2 o'clock in the morning, I finally went home. I was the only one left. And people came out at 8 o'clock, we had 50 people. At 10 o'clock, we had 20 people. At midnight, we had 3. At 1, it was me. It's like, okay, God, you know I'm here and I'm praying. I think I'm going to go home. So that's a hard thing to do, praying all night. But if you look further into this scripture, the next day, Jesus went out and named the 12 apostles. Now, these men 
went on to shape Christianity as we know it. They are the ones, they were all, except for Judas Iscariot, they all were martyred, crucified, boiled in oil, all kind of terrible things. But, but Jesus knew that he was making a choice that would affect the path of Christianity forever from these 12 men. So, uh, I mean, it is pretty obvious that all night praying was a very effective thing because he was finding out from God. If you, uh, the Bible plainly says that Jesus said, I say nothing except that the Father tells me. I do nothing except he tells me. So everything that he said and he did, he had gotten his marching orders from God the Father. So he's making these big decisions and he's communicating with God and God is showing him this man, this man, that man. And, you know, he had a lot of disciples. We don't always hear about, we always, the 12 disciples. But they talk, they talk about hundreds of people following him. So he could have picked from a multitude of people who were following him. But he got his orders from God. So, so if God, if Jesus had to pray to get information, to find out what to do next, how to do things, then certainly we need to do the same thing. So, um, and, then, and then the last thing, is, you know, people say, I'm too busy. I'm too busy. It's true. Everybody is busy. Man, we live in a microwave, drive-through window world, and everybody wants it to happen now. But, you know, God doesn't work that way. He's, he's, not, he's not on Facebook. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of godly things on Facebook. There's a lot of ungodly things on Facebook. But that's pretty much everything. I mean, the devil tries to pervert everything. I mean, how many of you realize that television, broadcast media, the Internet, that it is the way that the gospel is going to be preached to the whole world? Well, the enemy ain't going to let it happen easily. So, but it is the way. I mean, the Bible plainly says that before the end, that the gospel will be preached throughout the world. And nobody could understand how in the world that could possibly happen except one person at a time going out and, you know, being, being uh, foreign ministers, missionaries to all these countries. But then all of a sudden, the airwaves are open and we can preach to thousands and millions of people at a time. How do you know that God was involved in all of that stuff? So, Anyway, so people are too busy. But you know, Pastor Randy says this thing, and it is so well worth, worth quoting. <clears throat> he says that if the Spirit spoke to him one day, and he said, if you will take time where there is no time, I will make time where there is time. So if you spend time with God every day, you start your day, he will organize your day. And I've heard many people say that, you know, I started off my day and I had so many things going on, there was no way that I had time to do them. But rather than jumping up and saying, I don't have five minutes to spend with God, I'm just going to go ahead and start my day, they spent a half an hour with God or they spent an hour with God. And by the time they finished, you know, they went to their first appointment, and, you know, or they got a phone call and said, oh, I don't need you today. Oh, you know, things changed and we don't need to do that. And, and, you know, so God organizes and rearranges your time because you can bring me another one because I'll probably drink both of them. <laughs> so <clears throat> that 
God will, will help you with that time management. But it's hard if you, if you put off spending time with him, then, then, you know, you didn't start your day off right. And I mean, and we're all, me too, included, that we just, sometimes we just, it's quicker to get up and get clothes on and brush your teeth and shave and get out into the car and say, I'll pray when I get in the car. There's nothing wrong with that. You know, it is what it is, okay? But if you have that time to just spend just seeking him and sitting in his presence, make that time, get up a half an hour later, half an hour earlier, whatever, it, it will make a, a difference in your life. It will make a difference in your walk with him. It will make your difference in your growth as a Christian. I promise you. So, any questions? <clears throat> Let me crack open a bottle of water. So, the next thing we're going to talk about is the authority of the believer. So we have this situation where Jesus has paid the price. He went to the cross. He sacrificed his life. His blood cleanses us. He purchased salvation for all of us. And basically destroyed the plans of the enemy. Now the enemy from the beginning of time, if you start in Genesis... He's had a plan to keep man from knowing God. The Bible plainly says that he blinds the people from seeing the light of the glorious gospel. So he does not want anybody to know that God has a plan, a way for you to get to heaven. He wants you to think that you have to do all kind of works, that you have to do things, and it's all of what, if I'm a good enough person, I can get there. The truth is, is that the only way you get to heaven is by accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And the gospel is the story about what he's done. And so if the enemy can keep us from seeing that story, then he can keep us from realizing what God has done, the sacrifice that God made in letting his son come down and be sacrificed, and the sacrifice that Jesus did in his obedience to what the Father wanted him to do. So the enemy tries to hide it. He lied to Adam and Eve. She was deceived. Eve was deceived, but Adam knew what was going on. He openly knew that it was wrong. Ate of the apple. Boom. We are now all the dominion that man basically had that God had given him. He's now given it over to the enemy. In Corinthians, it says that the God of this world, talking about Jesus, and then Jesus in the Gospels talks about the prince of this world, meaning Satan. So we know by what Paul tells us and what Jesus tells us that there is someone else who is in major control of a lot of stuff that goes on. And if you look around at the world today, you know, people say that God's got this, God's got this, God's in control. Well, God's in control of those people who have 
given their hearts to him and their influence that he can have on them. But if God is not, if people are not born again, God's not necessarily in control of what's going on there. You know, my grandfather was heinously murdered when he was 86 years old. And my mother, who is a good staunch Catholic, was crying one day. I just can't understand how God could let that happen to Pop. You know, it's just like this guy stabbed him for $400 that Pop had in his heart, in his pocket for drug money. And I said, Mom, I said, you know, the truth is, is that this guy has a will. And God can't overcome another man's will. He won't, okay? He can. He can do anything that he wants to. You know, I always have that caveat. God can do anything, but there's ways that he works. And he doesn't make people do stuff that they don't want to do. I mean, it says in his word that he wishes that all would come to repentance and be born again. How many of you know that if God has a wish and a desire, that that should happen for everybody? But it doesn't. So it shows you that because God has a desire, because he gave man dominion over this world and man handed it over to Satan, there are things that happen in this world that God is not in control of. He could just come and say, bam, but he won't. It's pretty obvious. We, we see all kind of catastrophes and heinous crimes, etc. So anyway, I told my mom, it's like, God's not going to control this guy's will. So this was this man's will overriding Pop's will to live. He's 86 and in pretty good health, you know. But it wasn't an act of God, you know. It was an act of a demented, drug-crazed guy. So anyway, so God's not going to make us do anything. But here's the good news is that in the beginning, he said, man, have dominion. But with his plan of sending Jesus, he intended to give the dominion back to mankind. But rather than giving it to mankind, he gave it to men. When I say men, I mean men and women. He gave it to them individually. Jesus is the Lord of my life. Now, I have the ability to step up into authority because of his power in me. It's never my power. It's never my ability. It's always the Jesus working through me by the Holy Spirit. If ever I think that I can do any of this stuff, 40 people come to listen to me speak. And I don't speak all the time, okay? I mean, I, I pray, okay? 40 people come in to hear me talk about prayer. Just all of the wonderful things that he does. If I ever think it's me, then I'm missing it, okay? It is God. Believe me, Pastor Bubba is not responsible for our Savior's church in Jennings. Prayer is not responsible for our Savior's church in Jennings. Jesus and what he did on the cross and the Father's desire to have a people who love him and a people who reverence him and a people who want to have a relationship, he's the one why there's a church in Jennings. He gets the glory. He gets the praise for that. And, if, and, and, you know, I just know that Pastor Bubba, Pastor Jacob, Pastor Josh, Pastor Zach, Pastor, Pastor um, what's the, Jamie, yeah, Pastor Jamie, 
They don't take the credit for this. They're just doing the work that God showed them to do. And that's what we should do. But all that to say that Jesus handed that authority over to us. And we're the ones we need to wield it. We need to put the enemy in his place because the devil would like you to think that he is a big, mean, screaming animal who can come and destroy you at will and take you anywhere that he wants to. But the truth is, is the Bible plainly says, resist him and he has to flee. Well, I mean, you know, is it, I mean, you know, it's submit yourself to God. Okay, the scripture says first, submit yourself to God, but then resist the devil, and he has to flee. So we're in a submitted position. We have a place of power and authority over the enemy. So some scriptures to back that up. Jesus said in Luke 10, 18, and 19, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Well, and at this point in time, this was 70. That This wasn't the apostles. This was the 70 that he sent off to do works. You know, he said, go and heal people and, and you know, et cetera. And so they were doing his bidding. And they came back and they said, man, we, that demons are subject to us at your word. Well, throughout the scriptures, it says that God is no respecter of man. Who knows how many people, uh, you know, all the prophets and all of the, how many times that God approached somebody to do something, they, don't, they didn't do it. We don't have any recordings of that. It's all about people who are willing to submit themselves to God and then do the works that he called them to do. So he's no respecter of man. The things that he did for one person in the Bible, he will gladly do for you. See, here's the thing. Most of us look at the Bible and we say, that's a lot of nice things. Well, there's some pretty rough things in there too. But, you know, his, his word says his promises are yes and amen. And it says that he gives us all good things that pertain to life and godliness. Well, those are the truths that you want to hold on to. But the problem is that most people don't think that they can have those things. They don't think that those things will work for them. So it's just a bunch of stories. It's just a bunch of nice things that God said. But the truth is that you can have anything in the Bible that you have the audacity to stand up and believe for. It might not happen instantaneously. You know, he, he's pretty obviously just from the way things work throughout the Bible that he's not an instant microwave God. Things don't happen instantly. Some things do. Okay? I mean, those are called miracles. But then you don't know how long it took for that miracle to come to pass. You know, I mean... Sarah was 75 when God told her that she was going to have a baby, and she was 90 when she had it. Now, I mean, that was a miracle, okay, but it didn't happen overnight. So <clears throat> where was I going with that? Anyway, so <clears throat> in uh, 2 Corinthians 10, 4, it says, The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. So our weapons are the word of God. Our weapons are the knowledge of the word of God and the ability 
to use it on the enemy. So he's subject to what we say. He's subject to the things that we see in the word, and he has to obey. Um, and then Jesus said in, in John 14, 12, this is one of the biggest kickers here. He said, verily, verily. That means like surely, surely. He said, you can bet your bottom dollar, okay? I say unto you, he that believeth on me, the works that I do, shall he do also. And greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. Now that's, that's like a really cool thing. How many people really believe that? How many people have really seen it work in their lives? Well, you know what? If you don't have the audacity to believe that Jesus said that and he meant it, and if you study the scripture and you see that he didn't just mince, he didn't play with words. He was serious about the things that he said, and they're not just sweet things. He intends for us to do the works that he did and greater works. He intends for us to walk up to people. Come, people come up here on a prayer line on Sunday mornings and get healed, get whole, get delivered. That, that's, that is what he put on us. That's what he said we could do. He said we could do it. Why can't we do it? Why don't we do it? A lot of it is just because we don't think we can. We, don't, we haven't immersed ourselves enough in the word to be, feel confident that he can do it. But you know what? Confidence comes from doing things and seeing uh, results from them. So having the audacity. I mean, you know, the first person I ever laid hands on died soon after. She was an old lady in the hospital, though, you know? I mean, and bless her heart, you know, I just went to see her. She was a friend of mine. I just said, well, I'm going to pray for her, you know? So I rebuked death, and, you know, and it was like, Mama died. But she went to that, she was like in her 90s at the time, you know? But it was like, I could have let the enemy beat up on me. I could have let him lie to me and tell me, well, you know, you just don't have that kind of power. You don't have that kind of authority. Well, it didn't work, but it didn't work because I don't believe the word. It didn't believe, work because I don't think that the word is true. It didn't work because of my failings, of my inability to make it, to, to believe God, you know? So, but the truth is, is that we, God really intends, you know, this, the word is his love letters to us, his descriptions of who he is and what he is and his will for mankind and his will for us. It is full of information about how to live, about how to worship him, about how to be a good person, a good Christian because of the Holy Spirit that lives on the inside of us. Okay, so. got that scripture twice. But in Ephesians, in Ephesians 1, it says, And he hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth in all. So Jesus is the head of the church, and we are the body. Us here, we are the body. You know, the head can't do much without the body. Jesus is in heaven, but we are his arm. We are the physical presence of God in the earth. And that's how he works. He works through his body. He works through the church. He works through individuals. And we are his body. So the arm 
the head tells the arm to do something. The head tells the foot to do something. It does it. Well, that's the way Jesus works. He's giving, he's the commander in chief and he's ordering us as individuals and as a corporate body to do things. So whatever power, whatever authority Jesus had, he has delegated to us so that we can do the very things that he did and greater. You know, one of the, one of the, uh, one of the guys that I prayed with for years, this is his favorite thing to talk about, is the Holy Spirit. You know, when Jesus was here, he was one man doing what one man can do. He preached to thousands, preached to tens of thousands. But he could only communicate with those that he could come into presence with. But he said that I go to the Father and he's going to send you a helper. He's going to send you a comforter. He's going to send one who will speak to you and guide you. <clears throat> but what that happens is, and if you, you know, in the scriptures it says that the very power that raised Jesus from the dead is the power that's on the inside of us. That's what happened when we accept Jesus as Lord and Savior, that very power. But by the Holy Spirit, that very power is available to everybody who accepts Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. So now, instead of having Jesus, the individual, ministering to as many people as he has, he has little Jesus. That's what we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be in his image. He has individuals, millions of individuals. I think the last count, there were a billion Christians in the world. It's one of the largest religions in the world. Each individual has the very power that Jesus had to do what he did. Now, the main thing is go into the world and preach to everyone. Send the good news. Let everybody know that I took care of sin. That's what he did. He took care of the sin problem, which is what kept, keeps us from being in communion with God. God knew that we couldn't do it ourselves. We couldn't be good enough. We couldn't be <clears throat> holy enough. So he sent Jesus so that we could receive his holiness through Jesus. I am the righteousness of God in Christ. It's not my righteousness. It's Jesus' righteousness. And through that, by the Holy Spirit, we have the ability to minister to men, women, children, etc. So he has... All of these people who have the Holy Spirit in them able to minister and do the works that Jesus did. And that's, that's why it's so much more powerful and it should be more powerful than when Jesus was in the earth. That's what I'm believing for anyway. I'd like to see that. I know it doesn't manifest itself everywhere you go. And, 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 but, you know, we live in a body and that's part of the hardest thing about being here. Is that because we live in a body, how many of you know, two things is hardest to believe for is healing and finances. Guess why? You can look at your checkbook and you can feel your body. Everything else, it seems to be not as hard. Love people, you know, follow the whatever. But boy, those two are the hard, are, are hard. And they shouldn't be. There's something that he provided for us. So, moving right along. <clears throat>
So the next next topic we're going to cover is faith. And, you know, I know that this is not all about prayer, but this is like, for me, the basic fundamentals where you get to the point where when you pray, you understand what's going on, you know why you pray, you know how to pray, you know how to get results. I mean, most people, they pray because they want results. They want something to change in their lives. Now, that should not be the main reason why we pray. The main reason why we pray is so that we can have communion with God. But, you know, we all have to, we all have things that we need. We all have things we want fixed. We all have things, that, and, and this is the way to make it happen. Now, believe me, the faith message has been really convoluted, and if you think that I'm going to teach you on some faith things and it's about name it and game it, name it and claim it, blab it and grab it, well, that is not what it's about. Everything that God has shown us in the Word is about furthering the kingdom of God. If the reason why you want to ask God to give you a car so that you can go honky-tonking on Saturday night, well, guess what? But if the reason why you want God, you'd ask God to provide a car for you is because you, you need to get to work, you need to get to church, you need to, you know, that's a valid thing, okay? Because in the end, it's about furthering the word. It's about furthering the kingdom. So if your whole desire is, and only desire, is to get things, then, it ain't, then none of this is going to work for you, okay? And let me tell you, the truth about it is that if you say, well, that won't work for me, then nothing's going to work for you because Jesus said, you have what you say. So if you continually say, it's not working, it's not working, it's not working, well, you're getting what you say because it's very important what we say. So, <clears throat> the biggie, Hebrews 11.1. 1. Well, there's two biggies in faith, but this is the big, this is, now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Hebrews 11.1. 1. This is the very definition of what faith is. Boiled down, it means believing God for things that you can't see. It's believing without seeing. You know, Jesus said when he was talking to Thomas about Thomas said, well, I won't believe it until I see it, that there is a blessing. After he showed Thomas, he said, there is a blessing. Blessed are those who believe and not see. If you have to see everything before you believe it, then you're missing out what God is doing because God does not work that way. If, it, if he would, it wouldn't be called faith, okay? Now, one of the biggies with this, now faith is the substance of things hoped for. How many, uh, there's a difference in the vernacular that they use, the words that they use back then and now, in that hoped for, when we say hope, Nowadays, usually people mean, I wish. Boy, I sure hope that happens. They mean, I wish it would happen. I would like for it to happen, you know. In those days, when this was written, they meant an earnest expectation. There is a draw. There is an expectation that what God said will come to pass. So it's not wishing that God would do something. It's expecting that God would do something because he said he would do it. Okay? So, uh, and in Hebrews eleven six, we already said this, 
But without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. So faith is how we please God. Of course, it's all the other things. Being obedient. Doing the things that further his word. But it's all about faith. Believing that you can do things that you can't do. I'm standing on this podium. It's not exactly my favorite thing to do. I don't, you know, Pastor Jacob, Pastor Bubba, it's like they live to preach. That's what they love to do. It's not what I really like to do. I do okay at it, but it's like I'm, I'm not called to be on the podium and preach every Sunday. That's a pressure I would not want to have. Come up with a message every Sunday. Anyway, so and um, in Romans 10, 17, so then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word. So it's hearing and hearing and hearing. There's something about the word that when you hear it, it builds on itself. It, when you hear something and it's, and you can't be dogmatic about this because what about people who can't hear? They can't hear. It's about getting the word in your heart. Okay. So you, you have to apply yourself. You have to listen to the word. And I'm telling you, if the only word that you ever hear is on Sunday, then you're not hearing enough. You know, in this day, modern day and age, you can listen to every podcast, every one of the services that were preached at Our Savior's Church, Jamie and Pastor Zach, and then you can hear what Pastor Tim said and Pastor uh, <clears throat> Pastor Eugene and Pastor Jacob. I mean, you can just fill yourself up with the Word of God. Find other ministries that you like. You know, there's some stuff that out on the internet that's a bunch of baloney but there's a lot of good stuff out there you just have to ask people they'll tell you no don't listen to them that's crazy stuff but listen to this td jakes you know i listened to this one guy named uh keith moore now he's out of the faith area but if you listen to kenneth copeland all he ever teaches is faith 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 which is okay but keith moore is a pastor and he says I am called to teach my people because I'm a pastor I have to preach the word of God and cover all kind of topics I mean he's got hundreds of teachings out there and you can just listen to him over and over and over and I mean you I mean it take you probably a year to listen to all of them but there are other there are other ministers out there also T.D. Jakes and just on and on, and all of their stuff is available. John Brevere, he's an awesome man of God, awesome teacher. And then we have, we've had so many guest speakers uh, for Arise. Now all these ladies are just, I mean, just so much word. So you can feed yourself. You know, it, it, it's God says that he would redeem the time, that it doesn't take 10 years for somebody to become a mature Christian anymore. You get born again and you apply yourself to the word. You start listening to teachings. You start getting in the word. You can be as mature as a 30-year-old Christian in one or two years. Because God doesn't have time to mess around. He knows that the end is near. And he has set it up so that you can fill yourself up to overflowing in such a way that <clears throat> was unheard of. How many of you come from the era of using Strong's Concordance to find, to search scriptures? 
It was an arduous task. Oh, my goodness. You know who's the best Bible study right now? Google. I, it, just, it just is so amazing. If you can think of a piece of a scripture, it can show you the scripture. It's, it's better than, I mean, the best Bible app, as far as I'm concerned, is the U Bible. But if you don't say that word exactly right when you're searching for something, you're going to come up with nothing. You go to Google and you get it close, boom, there's my scripture. It's so easy. So you can do in-depth studies on stuff. And that's just God with the technologies that he's helped man create make this stuff just jump alive so quick and so fast and so easy that you can just fill your heart. So, so anyway, faith. In Romans 1.17, it says, for the righteousness, for therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. We are the just. We are justified by him. So it's said, Paul said in Romans that the just shall live by faith. He didn't, it's not the only place that it said. Paul frequently quotes the Old Testament, but I didn't go dig that one up. It says it in the Old Testament too. And then in Luke 7, 6, and the Lord said, if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you might say to this sycamine tree, be thou plucked up by the root and be thou planted in the sea and it should obey you. And you know, there, there are depths of meaning to scripture. You can look at a scripture and say, oh, face value. If I have a grain of mustard seed, faith is a grain of mustard seed. It says in other places that God gives everyone the measure of faith so that every Christian is given faith when they get born again. It's a gift. <clears throat> and so, but there's, but when you study the word, you find out that God, that Jesus said that, that the, the kingdom of God is like a seed and that the smallest seed will grow up into a mighty tree, okay? Well, and, and that's the seed time and harvest thing, which we're not going to get into here. But the, here's, here's the deal. Faith, there's enough faith in just a tiny bit of faith. There's enough power to move mountains, to, say, to move that sycamine tree. So, but in the same token, faith starting off as a seed is something that grows. So we can start off as something, a small thing, powerful, but grows into something so much more powerful because you feed it. And because it grows, you know, our scripture we quoted, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So the more word you feed into yourself, the more your faith grows, the more you can believe God for more. For that you can believe, you know, our Savior's church in Lafayette, we built one church. It cost $5 million. We built another church. It cost $10 million, $8 million. Somebody gave us Midtown. We put $700,000, $800,000 in it to refurbish it, but gave it. It was like a $4 million church. Gave us the church, okay? <clears throat> We're building a campus in, in Opelousas, $12 million, okay? Well, we already have $9 million of that ready to go. We're believing that the other three are going to come in before. But, you know, we didn't start off believing that God would... It, I mean, the first church that we believe is a bit of a stretch. Five million dollars for a church? You know, and, and, and then people say, well, you still owe 10 million. 
Yeah, we, we do have an outstanding loan. It's $10 million. But how many know that I would take, I would gladly owe somebody $10 million if I had $25 million worth of assets because that's what those four churches are going to be worth when it's all over with, 25 to $30 million. So that's just God. I mean, who else but God? Y'all probably don't owe anything on this church. There you go. There you go. That's awesome. I mean, that's what we're believing, that, that by the time Opelousas opens up, it'll be all paid for. But it starts off as a mustard seed and it grows. <clears throat> so there's two, two sides of that same scripture. A little bit goes a long way, a mustard seed. But that mustard seed has a potential in it for so much more. It grows and it grows and it grows. And then... Um, in Mark 11:23 through 25, <clears throat> this is a big one on faith, if you ask me. And Jesus, they said, the, the disciples said, uh, teach us on faith. Teach us. And he said, and Jesus said, fairly to, fair, said unto them, have faith in God. For verily I say unto you, that whosoever shall say to this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe, <clears throat> that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. Therefore, I say to you, what things you desire, what things you desire, okay? When you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. Now, once again, this is Jesus, okay? This is not Paul. This is not James. This is not Peter. This is Jesus saying, speak to the mountain, believe it in your heart, and you will receive it. So, that mountain is issues, situations, problems, troubles, you know. Jesus said we're, we're supposed to talk to those things. We're not to, he didn't say ask God to remove this mountain. Ask God to fix your debt. Ask God to fix your car. Ask it, you know, whatever. He said, speak to the mountain. So, so many people, at times I hear people, God, please uh, help me with my finances. Well, that's fine. I mean, you do want God to help you with, the, with your finances. But he also told you to speak to the mountain. So, you have this big mountain of debt. Well, you speak to it. Debt. You have no right, and, and, and it's another thing that people get off on is like <clears throat> they go to this scripture that says, call those things that be not as they were. That's what God did. God, in the beginning, he called those things that be not as though they were. It's a big faith thing. But they call things that are as though they're not. You can't, you can't say that I don't have this debt. You can't say I'm not sick. You can't say... Uh, I don't have marital problems. That's not calling things that be not as though they are. You're supposed to speak to the mountain. Marital problems. I, I give you no place in my life. I will not allow you to cause strife, to cause any situation that would come between me and my wife. But what I do say <clears throat> is I call those things are not that are, are not as though they were. 
I thank you, Father, that I have peace in my house. I thank you, Father, that we have a loving relationship. You might not have a loving relationship, but you're doing what Jesus told you. You're doing, you're speaking to the mountain, and then you're saying what you want to happen. Okay? So, <clears throat> so but then, you know, then he says, but you shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, and you shall have whatever you say. Therefore, I say to you, whatsoever things you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive them, and you shall have them. So, but this is not one of those instantaneous things, okay? It just, stuff, it can. You never can stay the hand of God. You can pray about something, and it could turn around and happen instantly. But how many of you know that that's usually not what happens? You have to stand on the word, believing that what he said is true, and continue. Speak to that mountain. Call out those things that you want in your life that are good things. I had one pastor tell me that guy walked up to him one time and said that, you know, some stupid thing like, well, I just wish God would give me a mistress. Well, I can't, I can't hold you up in prayer for that, brother. You know, it has to be something that's in the will of God, something that's, that's good, something that's perfect, something that's uh, of good report, you know. So this stuff don't work for stuff for, you know, you can't do that. <laughs> same pastor told me one time, he said, well, I was a brand new Christian, and he said, we were at some birthday party. And so, I mean, I'd been born again for not even a year. <clears throat> and so I'm sitting there, got this big old slab of cake, and he's got one too, and he says, let's cast the calories out of it. I said, can you do that? He said, no, but it doesn't hurt to try. <laughs> I said, okay. All right, I'm, yeah, okay. So, in, uh, and then in verse 25, this is always a big thing. In verse 25, it says, And when you stand praying, forgive if you have aught against any, that your Father which is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. So it's real important that you have a heart of forgiveness in a prayer because it says in other scriptures, talking about husbands and wives, that, that uh, you forgive them, that your prayers not be hindered. And so it's real important that we always have a heart of forgiveness. Now, that forgiveness is another whole message. But, you know, the short of it is, is that we forgive those who have done wrong to us, not because we feel like it, not because we have this warm, woolly feeling that all of a sudden all is okay with us, and not because, but simply because the, the word says that we have to forgive them. It doesn't mean that whatever they did, whatever they did or to you or whatever they didn't do for you or whatever, that that's okay. It does not give them license to do wrong. It just releases you from that because so many people are bound up in unforgiveness and all that happens is that the person that they can't forgive, they're not going around all day long thinking, of, boy, I sure hurt them. I know that they're just uh, in a mess. They're not thinking about you at all. So you're sitting here, and, and in some instances, they don't even know that they hurt you, you know? So you're sitting there just harboring this unforgiveness, and all it's doing is hindering you. So what I do is I simply say, Father, your word says that I should forgive them. So in the name of Jesus, I forgive them. Now, 
I don't feel like I forgave them. The feeling, I don't have that warm and fuzzy feeling, but, that, but I'm following what you said. So I think that the feelings are going to come. I believe that, the, that that release is going to come, but with my mouth, I've said, I forgive them. So that starts a process of healing in your heart, and, and, and before it's over with, you will forgive them. And like I said before, it doesn't make what they did to you right or whatever happened right. It just releases you from that unforgiveness. And it's a process many times. So that's the basics of faith. You could do a whole lot of stuff with, with that. But that, that's, you know, it's, it's, it's actually boils down to believing that God will do the things that he said he would do. The Bible is full of his promises and you latch on to his promises and you hold them up to him and you believe him and you'll see them come to pass. So the next thing we talk about is the name of Jesus. The name of Jesus is one of those keys to prayer that to me is very, it's very fundamental and it's very important. Because Jesus said it was important. <clears throat> it's not a, some people say it like it's a hocus pocus. This is the little added thing that makes everything happen. But the truth of it is, is that Jesus said that we were to ask in his name. Once again, I said earlier, and I'm a big proponent of this. Jesus didn't just throw out words so that they could write the gospel. You know, he just didn't use words and not intend that they have import, that they, that they have power. So he said that when you ask for something in my name, that my Father in heaven will do them. People look at me when I say that and they say, well, how do you think that works? I don't know. I, I don't know how that works. But he says very plainly, and I have the scriptures to back it up, he says that, it's a, his name is a name above all other names. Let's, let's look at those scriptures. John 16, 23 says, And in that day you shall ask me nothing. Verily, verily, I say to you, whatsoever you ask the Father in my name, he will give it you. Hitherto, this is verse 24, have ye asked nothing in my name. Ask and you shall receive that your joy may be full. That's the big J. I mean, he said it. It's in red in my Bible. He said use, use his name. And then in John 14, um, he says again, a couple of, couple of chapters before, what, whatsoever you ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Mark um, <clears throat> Mark sixteen eighteen, and these signs will follow those that believe. This is Jesus again in red. In my name, they shall cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents. And if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. So Jesus has given us instructions to use his name. Philippians 2.10 says, At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. 
That pretty much covers everything, okay? That's in this world anyway, you know? So we, the name of Jesus is the way to the Father's heart. Like I told you a minute ago, I don't know how it works. I just know that he said that this is the way we should pray. This is the way we should get things done. It's the power in the name of Jesus. And, and this takes us to the next uh, topic, which is the word and why we use the word when we pray. <clears throat> you know, the word of God, and you just have to make it up and make up your mind that the word of God is infallible. Uh, people tell me all the time, well, there's, there's so much in it that contradicts, you know, one passage contradicts another passage. And, but the truth is that we just don't understand everything. Paul says very plainly that we see through a glass darkly. We don't see everything. We don't know everything. We will know all of that stuff when we finally get to heaven. But in this such situations, in so many situations, we just have to take the word at face value. Um, you know, I'm a very logical person. I repair medical equipment for a living. I do electronic technology, big systems, and all kind of stuff. And I've always been the kind of, you know, I, when I was a kid on a rainy day, I would read encyclopedias. You know, it's like just grabbing an encyclopedia off. And I didn't read everything, but... All the stuff that interests me, I would read them. I've always been a bookworm. Well, <clears throat> when I got born again, it was like, this doesn't make sense. I just, I just can't make this work. You know, it's not logical. It needs to be one and one is two, and two and two is four, and four and four is eight. And God's not that way, you know. He said his ways are higher than our ways. And, and, and a lot of people take that to and go off in total error on that because you say you can't know what God knows. You can't know, but he gave us his word so that we could know what God knows. We don't know everything that God knows, but we could know what he wants us to know and that we <clears throat> could understand him enough to have a relationship and know his will. That's part of what the Bible is so important about is knowing his will. So when we spend time, there is something in the Bible that will cover every situation and circumstance that you come across in your life. It, it, it in, invariably, there's some place that it will show you something. There are a few places where you won't know where to go. We'll talk about that later. But, <clears throat> but I just had to come to the point where I just said one day, and I, and I came across this scripture, and it just said that the Bible is, the word basically is only knowable by the Spirit. That it's not something that the carnal mind or an unregenerated uh, mind can know. That though you can read the beautiful words and though you can read, I mean, they, they have college uh, courses that teach the Bible. And it's because in so many instances, especially like the King James Version, it's beautiful. It's beautiful words. It's written in, in the prose is, and the poetry is, is wonderful. And as literature, it's very valued. But the truth is, is that it's a spiritual book. And you can only truly understand it with your spirit. 
And the Bible says that we have to renew our minds. And, you know, somebody told me one time, it's like, well, it sounded to me like you're brainwashed. I said, well, if you knew me, you knew that my brain need to be washed. Okay. I was like, and we're all like that. We're full of all kind of junk, full of all kind of stuff. And, and <clears throat> you know, and, and a lot of people will get into this situation. It's like, I, I just, you know, I just can't understand it. And, you know, it's, I'm having trouble with it. And, well, it's like, I mean, I, didn't, I got born again when I was 30 years old. I'm 64. Well, but I spent the first 30 years of my life living for the enemy. Now, I wasn't an ugly, mean person. I mean, I had people walk up to me and say, you're the last person I thought would get born again. What do you mean? You had a beautiful wife. You had a great family. You had a great career. You just didn't need God, you know? And I'm like, man, everybody needs God. I mean, yeah, I had a good life, but there was, there was things that I didn't understand and, and I didn't want, you know, honestly, it was almost a selfish thing. I didn't want responsibility for everything that was going on in my life and my family that I was the end. It was like, I made all decisions. Not my, my wife made decisions with me, but you know how it goes. As a man, you think, I got to shoulder all these burdens. Where are this money's coming from? What are we going to? Finally, I told my wife one day, I said, you need to find us a church. She said, what? I said, you need to find us a church. I'm not raising my kids in a, church, in a house that doesn't know who Jesus is. Now, I'm Catholic. I don't think I want to go back to the Catholic church. Did it for 20 years. and the last 10 years, I haven't done anything. Find us something else. Thinking in my mind, eh, she's not going to find nothing. Well, little did I know, you know, I'd get involved in a church that was a bunch of holy rollers, like Jesus freaks, and it's like, Oh, my goodness. I never thought I'd go there. But it was a choice. You know, I mean, God spoke to my heart for six or eight weeks. Uh, this minister, lovely, wonderful man, came to my house and, and spoke to me Friday nights. And we talk, we talk and we talk and we talk and we talked about everything but the Bible. And then finally, I'd ask him something about the Bible and he'd open up his Bible. And we talked for the next, you know, but it just spoke to me. And finally, one day I said, this is not a logical decision. I can't wrap my brain around it. So you know what? I'm just going to ask Jesus to come into my heart and see what the heck happens. And it's been, a, been rocking and rolling ever since, you know? I mean, it's like, it's the best thing that ever happened to me. I mean, and I'm sure you all can say the same thing. So, <clears throat> so but I... I immediately got immersed into the word, just knowing that the answers were there. Even though I didn't agree with a lot of it, it's like creationism and evolution. I mean, how can you refute evolution? I mean, I grew up cutting my teeth on that. But I finally learned that, you know, some stuff you just got to put on the shelf. Some stuff is like, you know, yeah, we know there were dinosaurs, supposedly millions of years old. What are you going to do with that on the shelf? I'm just not going to, you know, what are you going to do about uh, revelations? There's so many, post-trib, pre-trib, mid-trib. It's like, you know what? It don't matter. I mean, we need to know about it. We need to be educated about it, find out what we can. But Jesus doesn't even know when he's coming back. So every time I hear somebody say, I know, no, you don't. <laughs> I mean, it's not to say that you shouldn't listen to preaching on on that stuff, because how are you going to know? How are you going to educate yourself? 
but they really don't know. I mean, they might have some strong revelations about what's going on, but it's, it's, it's locked up. We will know when it happens, you know. So, but all that to say, it just was, it was, it wasn't a logical decision. Couldn't be. It just had to be a heart decision, and it changed, and it unlocked the word for me. And I've seen stuff and understood, and so. Um, <clears throat> but this is an analogy that I use all the time, especially for people who speak, people who teach. Um, you know, the word of God is like rice. It's always the same. White rice, it's always the same. Yeah, maybe use a little bit of salt or whatever. Some people don't. But white rice is the same. And that's the word of God. It's always true. It's always right. You can always depend on it. But what happens is, is that, and he does the same thing with you like he does with me, is that sometimes you put some gravy on that rice. Or you put some beans on that rice. That's me and you. There'll be a little different flavor. Not error. Just a different way of communicating it. That's why it says, the word says, pray the Lord of the harvest to send laborers into the field. You know the hardest thing for you to do is to minister to your family. Some people are easy. My wife's family fell over like logs. But they had no spiritual basis in their lives. They were running from God all their lives and never were involved in church. When the truth was revealed to them, they fell. Boom, 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 everybody. My family, real strong, staunch Catholics. He's just going through a phase. (laughs) He'll come back 30 years later, you know. 32 years later, I'm still... But you know what? My family doesn't have a problem with it anymore. They did it the first because I'd push. I was always arguing with them. Finally, I had a revelation that they won't hear it from me. I just stopped back and loved them. I still get in conversations with my mom. She's become a much stronger Christian, a much stronger Catholic because she went to the word to prove me wrong. Uh Uh-oh. You know, I mean, we've had situations where my mom would say, you know, Aunt Nit, the aunt who lives down the street, Aunt Nit and I were bringing the plants to the church. Mom and this aunt would bring plants every Saturday to the church to put on the altar. And Nit said, well, another notch in my belt on the way to heaven. And mom said, Anita, you know better than that. The Bible says, the Bible says that, it, faith, that uh, salvation is a gift. You can't buy your way into heaven. It's through Jesus. Okay. You know, so I was like, Yes. She's got it, you know? So it's like, in those situations, you just want your mom and dad to be born again. It's like they can Catholic all they want. They know who Jesus is. They have a relationship with him. They're, they're going to heaven, you know? So, so but, but what happens is, is that other people can minister to your family and to others. That's why we pray the Lord of the harvest, because they can't hear it from my beans and rice. They might hear it from your, your beans and gravy. I mean, for your rice and beans, though. You know, so it's the flavor that you put on the word that may come alive for somebody else. And it's why, you know, uh, Pastor Jacob, well, he can come and preach and make you laugh. I mean, he is just hilarious. He should have been a comedian. But how many of you know that, you know, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people have been born again because of that gift of being able to make you laugh, but then turning it around and bringing it to a serious note, 
I mean, I've, I've known some ministers who stand back to back with one another and they both preach the same word. And, you know, one of them calls for salvations and 10 people come up and the other one calls for salvation and 500 people come out. Same people. They just a different convention, same convention and the same people. And, you know, it's just the way it works. You have that ability. That's your flavor. So um, <clears throat> now the important thing to understand about the word, and it's in uh, Luke eight eleven. This is the parable of the seed. I'm talking about the seed planted in the wayside, planted in the ditch, planted in etc. <clears throat> and some of it bore much fruit, and some of it didn't. But what Jesus said at the end was that in this? He said in this how now in this parable, the seed is the word of God. So this is, and at that, at that moment, he told the disciples that this is one of those kingdom mysteries that people didn't have an understanding of that before this time, that the word of God is a seed. And if you look in Genesis, he talks that, it says that when he put the plants and the herb bearing and all the other stuff, that seeds would regenerate after their own kind, that a tomato gets a tomato, and a cantaloupe gets a cantaloupe, etc. Well, when Jesus defines that the seed is a, that the word is a seed, now we have a situation where, as we use the word, that we are planting seeds, that we are planting seeds in people's hearts when we speak to them. So when we so when and when we pray and we bring things up to God, we are planting seeds. Okay, now, you don't need to plant seeds for God, but you're calling, you're speaking things into being because Jesus said that the word is a seed. So that's why it's important as we pray that we use scripture because Jesus said the word of God is a seed. So as prayers, we use the word of God. It cements things it makes things concrete because I have all these words to say but at the end of it I say and your word says that me and my house will be saved it says that in Acts somewhere as I can't tell you quote you scripture and verse but it's there promise I promise you so there's a promise from God we've asked him to send laborers another word and we've stood on the promise that me and my house will be saved. So as we have, like I said, concreted, cemented that prayer in the ground because we've used the word of God. And it's a seed, and we believe that a seed will do exactly what God said it would do. It will bear fruit. So that's why we use scripture when we pray. Um, Let me finish this and then let me finish this and we'll take a five minute break. In Jeremiah, uh, the Lord is talking to Jeremiah and he says, thou hast well seen for I will hasten my word to perform it. So God was informing Jeremiah that he wants to perform his word. So once again, you put the word out there, God says, oh, there's the word. And then in Psalms 
uh, 103.20 says, Bless the Lord, ye angels, that excel in strength, that do his commandments, hearkening unto the voice of his word. So <clears throat> God said that he will, hast that he will uh, hasten his word to perform it. And then in Psalms, it says that the angels are hearkening unto the voice of his word. So when we put that word out there, We've anchored it, believing that it's a seed and that it's going to bear fruit. But we also know that the angels now have something to work with. It's like, ah, I can work with that. And God says, I'm an, I want this to happen, too. So let's make this happen. And then in, um, in Isaiah 43, 6. I need to look this scripture up because uh, the scripture before it I like also. Hang on. Anybody have this Bible open? Look for Isaiah. Can you, can you read the scripture before? Um, Isaiah 43, 25 and 26. Did y'all hear that? I am he that blots out your transgressions for my sake, and I will not remember your sins. And then he says, put me in remembrance. Let us plead together. Declare thou that thou mayest be justified. First off, that scripture in verse uh, 25, it says he blots out our transgressions for his sake. You know, he so wants to have a relationship with us. It, I mean, he sent Jesus to purchase our salvation, to pay our price because he wanted a relationship with us. He knew that he couldn't forgive us the sins that the, the Mosaic covenant was not strong enough because it just covered sin. You know, all the lambs and all the bulls and all the sacrifice, all it did was cover sin for a year. But as a pure and holy God, he, he had to be able, he wanted us to be in his presence. Before Jesus went to heaven, all the people who died in the <clears throat> uh, Mosaic covenant, they went to a place called paradise. And it was like they call it an upper place in hell. It wasn't a place of, of torment. It wasn't a place of torture that they talk about. It was just like a holding zone. But when Jesus died and said that he brought paradise up with him. So he took all of those people and he brought them into heaven. But God purchased, God sent Jesus so that his blood could wash away our sins. And the Bible, it says that when we confess our sins to us, he forgives us. But the best part of him forgiving us is that the next verse says he cleanses us from all unrighteousness. He doesn't just forgive us. He cleanses it. Okay. So his desire to have a relationship with people in the earth was so great that he sacrificed Jesus so that we could have that relationship. And he says he did it for his sake. Because he wanted... You know, that just chokes me up. I think he, he loved me so much. He loved us so much that he was willing to forego that relationship with Jesus because he had to turn his back on him. 
You know, you can't be in the presence of sin. So, <clears throat> but then in the next in the next scripture, the next verse, he says, "Put me in remembrance. Let us plead together." So there's like we we're gonna we're gonna have an exchange here. You know, and and actually, if if you if you remember in the Old Testament, um, when uh, God was going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, He talked to Abraham, and He said, "You know, I, I can't keep, I can't not tell him I'm going to do this." So He talked to Abraham, and and He told him, "You know, I'm I'm going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah because it's so vile. It's so, you know, it's just." It needs to be destroyed. And Abraham said, well, if you find 50 righteous men there, will you, will you spare? Anyway, he went on down the line. I'm, you know, I'm reading this. Every time I read it, I'm thinking, God, thank God that you know, he's long-suffering. Because he, I mean, he keeps asking, what about 30, 40? What about 30? What about 20? And God says every time, he said, 10. Will you, will you not destroy it for 10? And God says, if I find 10 righteous men there, I won't destroy it. And he couldn't find 10, so he destroyed it. But, you know, that shows you that he was pleading with God. He was discussing with God. So God will discuss things with you in your heart about those things that you don't understand, that you don't know. You just need to open up and allow him to talk to you. But once again, it's, it's like a, almost like a courtroom. I guess that's a pretty good analogy. It's like, and God is the judge. Well, let me show you, God. Here it says in your word that I am the righteousness of God in Christ. Or it shows in your word that by his stripes I am healed. So I want to be healed. And God says, yeah, I did say that. It's not like you have to remind him. He knows it. But you need to bring it up because he wants you to make sure that you know what's going on. That you're in his word. That you're hearing his promises. That you're standing on his promises. Because God doesn't, you know, it's like... When something goes wrong in our lives, then you, you go, God, you know, I'm sorry I did such and such. You know, it's not like he just found out about it. You know, you know, God, I just found out that I have a bill that's due, and I don't have any resources. And it's not like it surprised. Did you know that they owe a hundred bucks? It's like you know, that's not that's not the way it works. God knows everything, but. He wants a relationship with us. And that's one of the topics we'll talk about in a second. If, if you read in Hebrews, Hebrews talks a lot about the blood of the Lamb, about the blood of Jesus, and things about <clears throat> how that without blood that there is no consecration or no forgiveness of sin, that most things are not cleansed unless blood is shed and in the Old Testament that's why they had all of the uh, <clears throat> all of the sacrifices of the lambs and the pigeons and the, or the doves and the uh, bulls etc and there were all kind of different things that they would sacrifice for different sins etc and and a lot of it was about how much money you had and your ability to purchase these things etc but the blood of Jesus once and for all sealed that. It says in Hebrews that he consecrated the in the heavenly of heavens. Not everything that was done on earth was in the holy of holies, in the inner sanctuary that the, the uh, priest would go in once a year 
and sacrifice, give sacrifices for uh, the kingdom of Israel. And it would settle things for a year. Of course, they would do their own sacrifices for individuals. But it says very plainly that Jesus once and for all sealed that. And it was with his blood. And so when we, as prayers, when we pray, because of situations and circumstances, you'll hear people say things and we cover them with the blood of Jesus. That it it signifies a, a... an area that the enemy does not and cannot uh, enter into. He can never be into the Holy of Holies. He can never have access to the blood of Jesus. But as Christians, that the blood of Jesus is what actually was shed for every sin that we have ever committed. And, you know, and this was done 2,000 years ago. So it covers the future and it covered the past. It covered everything that went on before his sacrifice. It covered everything that happened after his sacrifice. And it does the same thing for us. It covered everything, every sin that we ever committed before we got born again. And it covers every sin that we commit after. That's not to say that sin is okay. I firmly believe that you can walk for months, weeks, years without sinning. Not many of us do. I'm not saying that I do, but I I think that it's there. I think that we can. God intended for us to do it. But if you stumble, it's a good way to say if you sin, huh? If you stumble, then the word says that we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus. He's a mediator of the covenant between man and God. He always stands between you and God. It is his righteousness that we stand in. And it's one of those things where the enemy would like to sit before God. I don't know how that happens. You read Job, you know, somehow or other Satan had access. I don't really think he has access to heaven, but I don't know. I don't know exactly how that happened, but here's the thought. The enemy is the accuser of the brethren. Bible plainly says that. So he's constantly trying to bring up your sin to the Father. But what happens is, is that every time that happens, Jesus steps between you and God. He says, but I paid the price. So God always sees you through Jesus. That was his intent. He sees you through Jesus. And that, like I said, that's not to condone sin. That's not to say we should not have a habitual life of sin. But if you stumble... I say stumble because it's like we don't intentionally sin. We shouldn't intentionally sin, okay? But there's Jesus. Doesn't matter what this guy over here says. I paid the price. And it's so interesting that the word says that he puts our sin as far away from us as the east is from the west. And that analogy is so good because if every it, you go in, in any other direction, if you go north and you go far enough north, you end up going south. If you go south and you go far enough south, you end up going north. But if you travel east, you will never be going any direction but east. And if you go west, you will never be traveling in any direction but west. 
as you divide the, the certainly as you divide the globe, there's an east and a west, but that's <clears throat> not what we're talking about. God puts your sin in the, in the sea of forgetfulness. He chooses, I mean, he's omnipotent, he's omniscient, he's omnipresent. If he wanted to, he could remember your sin, but he chooses not to remember your sin because, as we showed in the scripture before, that he forgave our sins for his sake because he wants to have communion with us. So he so desired to have a family that he sent Jesus and separated himself from Jesus for the time that he was on earth. And Jesus humbled himself and took on the form of a man. And that's one of the things that I struggle with all the time because I, I, I say struggle with. It's, it's a, a concept, you know. Was Jesus a man or was Jesus God? Well, here's the truth. He was man and he was God. But he put down the Godhead so he could become a man. The Bible plainly says that he was tempted in every measure as we were. Yet he did not sin. But the Bible also says that God cannot be tempted by evil. Neither does he tempt any man. Okay? So... For your consideration, if Jesus did not truly become a man and still retain that Godhead in, in and of himself, could he truly be tempted? It says that God cannot be tempted by evil. So he's our picture. He's who, who we go for. There's a lot of controversy in the Christian world about how that works. And, you know, some of them, that's blasphemy. You know, Jesus is holy and he's perfect. And oh, he is. But how could he, if God cannot be tempted, then how could Jesus be tempted if he didn't empty himself of his Godhead and become a man and walk the earth as a man? He's God. He can do anything. He said, don't you know I can command 10 legions to come here and fight for me? When they were trying to take him, I can do this. I mean, when they said, are you he? He said, I am. Boom. They all knocked down. He obviously, he obviously was God. But he obviously was man also. And he chose to shed his blood so that God could forgive us. Really forgive us. And not just cover our sins like the Old Testament. And so it's that blood and it says, <clears throat> it says in Revelations 12, 11, for they overcame the enemy by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. So the words that you speak to people, the words that you confess as you're praying, and the blood of the lamb is how we overcome the enemy. And he's very much, he's very much alive and well, and he continues to hinder the Bible, the word of the work, the word of God, as much as he can. But there's no comparison. You know, people say all the time, you know, what's the opposite of God? Well, Satan. No, no. Satan's a created being. God made Satan. There's no comparison. He's he's an individual. He's not omnipotent. He's om not omniscient. He can't be everywhere. God can. 
So Satan is one individual with his minions, one-third of the, end of the angels that fell with him. You know, interesting thing, just sideline. We have will. But God made us that we could <clears throat> utilize that will. We could do whatever we want. But he made a way for us to be restored to him. Obviously, angels have will because a third of them walked away from God. But he didn't create them to be able to walk back into the grace of God. They had one shot. You do it right or you're out. But he didn't do that with us. He, you know, he said, you know, the angels say, we don't understand man. Why would you make him that way? Made him, and if you look in the word, it's in Hebrews. He said, made them a little lower than the angels. But if you look at that word angel, it says Elohim. Elohim is a word of God. It means God. He made them a little lower than God. So man is really a little lower than God, not the angels. Why would God say that they're servants for us? They're servants for the heirs of salvation. So anyway, that didn't cost you anything. <clears throat> so the next topic, so the blood is something that's also important in prayer, the blood of the lamb. It's important in our lives, without a doubt. So the next part is asking. Um, in, <clears throat> in Matthew 6, 8, it says, Be ye not therefore like unto them, for your Father knoweth things, know what things you have, of, have need of before you ask of him. And he was talking about, in this scripture, talking about the heathens and whatever. But I, I run into people all the time who say, well, you know, I, I don't ever pray for myself. I don't ever ask God for anything because he knows what I have need of. And, you know, and, and in their opinion, it's like, that's a selfish thing. You know, why would I want to pray about my needs? And, and here's the scripture. That's what they say. He said, the father knows what things you need of before you ask him. But what, I mean, you know, he said, he, he would have said, don't bother asking the father because he knows what you need and he's going to automatically give it to you. But it just says that he knows what you have need of before you ask him. Well, he's God. Of course he knows before you ask him. But then if you look in all of these other scriptures, uh, in Matthew 7, 7, ask and it shall be given. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be given. It shall be open unto him. For everyone that asketh receives, and he that seeks finds. To him that knocks it shall be opened. I mean, very plainly, Jesus said, you need to ask. <clears throat> in John 14, 13 and uh, verse 13 and 14, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. This goes dovetailed with the asking in Jesus' name. But Jesus said, ask. <laughs> Matthew 21, 22, and all things whatsoever you ask in prayer, Believing you receive. That's Jesus again. It's read. John 15, 7. If you abide in me, abide in me and my words abide in you, shall, you shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. Uh, in Philippians 4, 6, 8, Paul says, Be careful for nothing, but everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your request. That means ask 
let your requests be made known unto God. There's even a scripture, and I don't know, maybe some of you can tell me, I think it's in James, but I'm not sure. It says, you have not because you ask not, and you receive not because you ask amiss, meaning you ask because you want to consume it on your own lust. But he says, the first part of the scripture, you have not because you ask not. If you ask incorrectly, you ask for the wrong thing, of course you're not going to get it. I mean, the Bible says, it says, when talking about the Holy Spirit, if you being evil know how to give good things to your children, how much more would the Father give to them who ask the Holy Spirit? So, if you don't ask, you don't receive. So if you have this mindset that some people have that it's, it's selfish of me to ask, well, these are just a few of the scriptures. There's more scriptures than this that go with asking. God wants us to ask him for the things that we have need of. Once again, the caveat, if you're asking the wrong thing, like the guy who asked the pastor to pray with him for a mistress. It, you, that's not going to happen. But if you're asking him for things that, you know, to fix your marriage, you're asking him to supply you with transportation because you need to get to work and you need to get to, you need to, get to, uh, <clears throat> to church. If you're asking him to help you with debt because through your foolishness you built up this mound of debt, but he knows that if you free up this debt, that you're going to give, be able to have fluid uh, finances that you can help further the word. I mean, the Bible says he, he give us the ability to get wealth in order to establish his covenant. That's in the Old Testament. But even in the Old Testament, it's like he wants to get, he gives us, I, don't, I can't quote the exact scripture, but that's what it's talking about. He gives you the ability to get wealth in order to establish his covenant. So if you, if you just want to pay off your debt so that you don't have any bills, well, that ain't going to happen. But if you want to pay off your debt so that you can help Pastor uh, Bubba and all the other pastors build this church, I heard one ministry say, you know, people criticize this all the time because of the stuff that we do and the amount of money that we take and everything, but we count every dollar that comes into this ministry as a dollar, as a soul saved. So it's the same thing with the church. You know, our Savior's Church of Lafayette, we have debt. We know that that confines our ability to meet people's needs, to get people saved. And it's a plan of the enemy, okay? So certainly God would want that. Same thing for healing. It, it, it's hard. It hinders what you do. It hinders uh, your relationship with others. It, it's, it's hard to be focused on anything else when you're in pain. So God wants you to be healed. You know, we walk in that. We try to walk in that. We, you know, endeavor to be healed if, you know, it's like, God, if it be your will, well, I don't know. I read all kinds of scriptures, and I was like, it's pretty hard to find that it's his will when you read all the stuff that Jesus did, that it's his will for us to be sick. Uh, but, you know, it's one of those things that in my heart, I can't judge you because you didn't get healed. I, you shouldn't. 
it just just doesn't work like that. It's not about condemning people because they didn't get what you got or they didn't get what you thought they should get. It's all about love. I'm out of the camera. It's all about love. It's about the love of God that's shed abroad in our heart by the Holy Spirit. So if we don't have love for one another, then everything else is not going to work because God is love. And that's his whole motive for everything that he's done in the earth. So, and in 1 John 5, and this is the confidence that we have of him, that if we ask anything according to his will, if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us, and we know that he hears us, and if we know that he hears us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. So, 1 John 5. Verse 5, we have those things that we ask. Petitions are actually things that you brought before him. Questions about that? Okay, let's move right along. So this, this portion is types of prayer. There's, I mean, if you do any studies, it's just like every, every one who ministers on prayer who has any information out there, they all have different types of prayers and some of them have 20 and some of them have five and some of them have, you know, it's just there's all kinds of different prayers, you know. So I just put down the headlines. A couple of the big ones that I think are, are most important. The prayer of agreement. This is a prayer. It says in Matthew eight eighteen through 20, He said, Verily I say unto you, Whatsoever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever you shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again I say unto you that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of of my Father in heaven, which is in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in their midst. So the very last part is one of the biggest things about uh, corporate prayer is when two or three are gathered in his name there he is he's he's in our midst when we have a gathering he said that okay but this is one of those prayers that we use and and a lot of people um just kind of use this flippantly hey will you agree with me that uh you know my need will be met on on something oh yeah i agree with you well do you do you really agree with him it says, it says, I say to you, whatsoever you shall bind on earth will be bound in heaven, whatsoever you loose on earth. And again, I say that two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask. It shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. So the part of this prayer that I think a lot of people leave out is about, you know, did, did you... Did you work with them together on this? Did you? It's just not not about being in agreement. It's about following what Jesus said, and Jesus said, as asking. So, the thing that many Christians do, and I've even found myself doing it, especially with my just being in agreement with me. I have a meeting and blah blah blah, you know, and I need to do this. And it's, but you need to stop because you said ask. So, Father, we stand according to your word and ask according to your word that this meeting would be uh, favorable, that you would give me favor with man 
and with you concerning the details of this meeting. And according to your word, Mary and I agree because I've asked that it will be done on heaven, in, on the earth and in heaven. So we thank you for that. So, but what a lot of people, like I said, it's just a kind of a, in the Christian circle, people have just gotten used to this scripture and just kind of leave everything else off. Just be in agreement with me. And, and just kind of flippantly use that. I mean, you didn't really follow what Jesus told you to do to use this prayer. So, and then, um, any questions about that? And, and you know, I, I was doing some study because part of, part of this thing, it says, uh, it said, when, when, we're, when we're praying, it says that whatsoever you, and that's the next part that I'm going to talk about is prayer of binding and loosing. Talks, it says that <clears throat> whatever you bind on earth will be loosed in heaven. And it's like, for years, I was like, I was just kind of confused about it. And I knew it was part of what we could do with the enemy uh, in, the, in the spiritual warfare thing to bind the enemy. But I was confused about the whatever I bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever I loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. It's like, there ain't no demons in heaven. So I, well, how, what does that mean? Well, I, heard, I heard a minister speak very ably the other day. Uh, about this particular subject, and it made a lot of sense. If you read, in, 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 as you read through the, test, through the, the New Testament, uh, Paul talks about being caught up into the third heaven. And according to what we read in the scriptures, there's actually three layers. There's first, second, and if there's a third heaven, there must be a first and a second. That there's the first is the heavens as the atmosphere. The second is somewhere that we don't really can't identify is uh, where the demonic realm is. And, and I mean, it's not just demonic. I mean, you know, angels travel through there, et cetera. And then there's a third heaven, which is where God lives, the heaven that we talk about when I die and go to heaven. And so this is what they're talking about, that in that realm where the enemy hovers around between heaven and, and earth, that there's this realm that we can't really identify because we don't have spirit, the ability to see regularly in the spirit. Those of you who have an ability, at times the Holy Spirit will give us an ability to discern spirits. Uh, it's one of the gifts of the spirit. So people will see into that realm. So that's what this is talking about. That when you, you know, it's certainly about binding that enemy and taking authority of it. <clears throat> uh, Jesus said that <clears throat> talking about the bind man, the strong man. He said that uh, how can you overcome the strong man, meaning a demonic force, without binding him? So he talks about it, and then he talks about in the prayer of agreement that you can that whatever we bind on earth will be bound, whatever loosed on earth will be loosed. So we bind the enemy and we loose angels, we loose the power of God, we loose. Uh, Love, we, you know, but we bind the enemy. It doesn't mean that he's forever bound there. We don't understand exactly. We don't have a whole lot of information about how that works or what, you know, for when I say that the enemy is bound in this situation, I don't know if it's a minute, if it's hours, if it's days, but I, I bound him, you know. It's just a tool that we use. 
So, any questions about that? We're not going to spend a lot of time on these because they're <clears throat> for lack of time. Yes, ma'am. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I don't understand if I'm doing any good or not. Well, the connotations of what we have in the word is that it's whatever we bind is bound for a time. And like I just said, we don't know. Uh, you know, just because of what I've seen and experienced, like you did, it doesn't always stay bound. You know. And I've and I've had just like, and, and and in other places I've I've had where uh, other people have bound the thing and then they come back to me and say, well, it's raising its head again. Well, you know, that's a whole different scenario where you get into deliverance and if you go to the freedom group, you find out about that stuff. There's demonic things that need to be gotten rid of and if they're still hanging around, well, they, they're, they're bound and for a while they won't do anything. But whenever they come loose, which is I can't define for you, they start manifesting their heads again. They just, so you do the thing again, you know. Yes, ma'am. Right. Good point. Right. Yeah, that's a good point. Thank you for that. She said that that in when when Jesus was uh, tempted in the desert. Well, Jesus said, you know, it is said, it is written, you know, use the word on the, on the demonic, on the devil. So my point to you also is that if Jesus had to use the word on the devil, then you need to use the word on the devil. But it said that when Jesus finally told him it is written and the devil left, it said that the devil left until a better time. So if it, Jesus sent him off, he's coming back, okay? So that's a... Also, do you think maybe um, Satan's kingdom has witches that also set those things free again? Well, yeah. I, I mean, you know, he, he's got people... Mm-hmm. There's a, there's, yeah, devil, devil definitely has his demonic forces and his, his uh, cohorts in the earth that are praying against Christianity and trying to tear it down, etc. So that could be. Sure. So anyway, so then, then we get over to uh, a pair of the prayer of petition and supplication. In Philippians 4, 6, it says, be careful. For nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. Um, this is the this is the prayer of letting God, bringing God in on your needs. So people who say I don't I don't need to pray for my needs because God knows them. Well, this is this is you know not this shows that that's not there. It says bring <clears throat> bring your prayer. With supplication and thanksgiving. Thanksgiving and praise is a big thing of getting your needs met. You know, it's like, okay, you prayed about it. You're standing and believing God. What do you do now? You need to begin thanksgiving and praise until the manifestation of whatever it is that you're believing. You praise him. Praise takes everything that you pray to a different level. 
everything that you pray to a different level. So uh, the next one is prayer of intercession. Um, we typically call the, the type of, you know, just a lot of people will call our corporate prayer time intercession. All the intercessors, you know, you know, not everybody who's in that prayer group are called to intercession. You know, intercession uh, is, is some people are called as intercessors and the, the, they are the type of person who this thing will come upon them and, or they'll have an urgency to pray for somebody or to pray for something. And, and it just, and, and it's accompanied with, uh, in many instances, weeping and travailing, and it's a very powerful thing. My wife is an intercessor. I'm not, I'm not necessarily an intercessor. I'm a prayer. I mean, it has come on me at times, and it's like, it, it, it probably I can think of five or six times in the 20-plus years that I've really been pushing in prayer, <clears throat> but that doesn't make me think I'm an intercessor. It's just a moment of intercession. Just because I prophesied to you didn't mean I'm a prophet, Okay. So, but there are some people who, it, this is a very strong force in their life, and it, and and one of the things, it, the definition of that is, it, you, kind of like throwing yourself upon them, kind of liking, uh, like like uh, in the the foxhole, all the soldiers are standing around, or they're crouching on the edge of the foxhole, and somebody lobs a hand grenade in the, in the foxhole, and one of the guys throws himself on that hand grenade and protects everybody else. Well, that's a picture of an intercessor, throwing themselves on somebody else to cover them. Uh, oftentimes, the things that happens with intercessors is they get really caught up in it. And, they, and, and they, it's hard to release it because whatever, and it's like they come out of this prayer session and they just feel a heaviness upon them. And you have to realize that, that what happens is that God allows the feelings that this person is having to come upon you so that you can intercede and uh, uh, travail, whatever it is that you do for them. But you can't take the care of that. You have to, you, you, after you're finished with that, you need to then get into some prayer, I mean some praise and worship so this thing will lift from you. God did not intend for you to carry it. You understand? We are not the carers. He said, be careful for nothing. He called you to intercede for this person, but you're not to take on the care of that. You're supposed to leave that at the throne, okay? So, uh, so you don't get caught up in that. Most, most intercessors say that it will lift They'll feel that something has happened, but then that depression or that sad feeling kind of hovers. And it's just the enemy trying to make you take that thing on, you know. So, it's, so you, you need to leave that alone. And Paul says in Philippians 1, 3, and 4, he said, I thank my God upon every remembrance, always in every prayer, prayer of mine, making requests for you all with joy. So it is something that's a point of joy you know, for intercessors. Um, and and an, another point about, about that, <clears throat> um, you know, this is a, a little private, but I'm sure Mary won't, won't uh, mind me sharing it with you. She has lots of dreams, and I have dreams from time to time, but she has them regularly. And they, you know, and we can actually look at her walk and see exactly when they started because she just had all of a sudden these weird dreams that 
they weren't demonic, they were just, but they weren't Mary. And it's like, it's just pretty easy to define that this was God speaking to her and showing her something. And so she had this thing, you know, this travail would come upon her and, and she'd howl at the moon, you know. I mean, it was like just weeping and, and moaning. And we were in several services and it just came upon her and she's just travailing. And, you know, and she had, you know, she had to walk out and, and because it was just uncontrollable. And, um, and she started having this dream that she was going to the bathroom. And it was this, like, open stall, and there was the church. And, I mean, and she, she had it multiple times, and it was very distressing to her. She said, I'm uncovered. I know I'm uncovered. What is this? This is a very private time. What is this, you know? And so um, in our early time with the church, this was probably two or three, maybe four years after the church opened, we used to belong to an organization called Every Nation, and they'd have an annual uh, conference on the West Coast. And so we flew out there, to, and this is one of the first times we ever met uh, Pastor Jim LaFoon. So I went off to do something with finances, church finances or something like that, and Mary went off to see this Jim LaFoon talk about prophecy. We talked about the gifts of the prophet, et cetera. And of course, you guys know Pastor Jim LaFoon. He's a gifted prophet and prophecy, and the word of knowledge flows through him like water out of a faucet. It's very amazing. <clears throat> well, he started talking about this, and he, uh, you know, started talking about intercession and travailing, and, and just, and he said, that is a very private thing. And he says, doing that in front of the church congregation is like using the bathroom in the middle of the church. And Mary's like, oh, my God. So that's not something that God wants you to do in a church scenario. If you feel that coming upon you, you either need to push it down and control it, or you need to step out of the church and go out in the parking lot and howl if you have to, or in your car. But it's not in order for you to do that in the church. I mean, if you start, you know, in the middle of a church service, you start howling, I don't know, I'm pretty sure here, like at Our Savior's Church in Lafayette, they'll walk you out. You know, it's like, that's too distracting. You know, one of the biggest things about prayer, you know, and y'all don't be offended by this, but you probably will. Anyway, that, you know, prayers are different. If you're really called to prayer, it's kind of like sometimes herding cats. Everybody has a word. Everybody has information from God. Everybody wants to share. Everybody, you know, knows. But... But the situation is that it has to be done in corporate setting. It has to be done decently in order. That's what the Bible says, that all things be done decently and in order. So when you come to the corporate prayer, you put that howling at the moon aside. I'm not saying that you don't pray in tongues, okay? We want you to pray in tongues. But it shouldn't be so loud that the person sitting next to you can't hear what the person who's praying is praying. You know, we've had situations in the past where we had this, uh, this person who, awesome prayer, intercessor. I mean, I'm telling you, this person was just like gold. But man, we'd start praying, and I'm, you know, and, and in a typical situation like this, you're going to, you know, you sit here and you've got 
35 people or so. I'd be down right here with the board and just praying, and I'm not using a microphone 90% of the time. So this person would take off, and it was like, nobody can hear what I'm praying. So, but there's a difference in people. There's a teachable person, and there's a person who's not teachable. We took this person aside and said, we know that you are an awesome prayer. We hear you pray. We hear your words. We believe that you're hearing from God, but this is not right. You are not, you're distracting everybody else. So if that takes over and you can't control it, step out and haul. Because everybody else needs to hear. Because we're standing here in corporate prayer to be in agreement. To stand before God and represent our church, our families, our nation, our state. And if you're howling, and I'm not talking about she was travail. She was just praying in tongues, but a loud prayer in tongues. If you can't control that volume, then, then you're not in order. I'm telling you what, that person is one of our best prayers. Accepted that, received that. I mean, they're all the time, strong in prayer, supporting us. But then there are other times where I took this one person aside and said, you know, that just was not the right time to tell that joke. I, I know we were all kind of chit-chatting and we were sharing things in prayer, kind of rolling around it. But it was like, you just kind of broke the spirit of the whole thing. Oh, yeah, everybody laughed at your joke. But that was not correct. That was not the right time. You know, that joke could have been shared after we broke. And then and it's like, that person never came back to prayer again. And he was a precious brother. I loved him. It was offended, but it was like, you know, and that's going to be the position that Don is going to be. He's going to help bring order. I mean, you know, y'all might look at him and say he's a young Christian and he is, he has, I'm going to, I'm going to bring you into this, Don. Okay. So he's, he's a young Christian. He doesn't have, you know, some of you guys may have been praying for 20 or 30 years and you've got so much more time on the carpet than he, he's ever had. But somebody has to be in control. Somebody has to say, this is not right. You know, when somebody takes off and it's like, okay, we need you to pray for Pastor Bubba. And like I said earlier, you know, I need a three-minute prayer, not a 30-minute prayer that somebody can, that's enough, you know. Somebody needs to be in control because things need to be done decently and in order. So God put him in order. PJ, PJ gave him, so he's the man. So, but that's good for us because as prayers, we can get off. We can take off, you know? It's just, and, and that's, what, that's what Paul said. Everybody has a tongue. Everybody has an interpretation. Not everybody can speak. But what we do is we put down the highlights. Pastors. Past, we usually have pastors, staff, and dream team. When I pray for the pastors, pretty much I'm covering the dream team and the staff because of, you know, praying for their finances, praying for their families, praying for their... Oftentimes we'll pray for the pastors and mention all of their names, etc. But anyway, just saying, we'll have topics. Pastors, um, church church building, you know, new building, just down. And I'll, anybody want to pray for, you know, and we'll do that. And then we each pray individually. And I'm not saying that this is how you guys have to do it. This is just how we do it. And I'm getting ahead of myself because, but that's okay. 
<clears throat> so, but then at the end, we have a list, and Don and I are talking, and we were talking, I'm sorry, what's your name again? Bridget. We were talking about how we can make this happen. So everybody does something different. I'm just throwing out to you all the way we do it. We get requests on Sunday, just prayer requests. They will write down all down and categorize them. Salvation, healing, finances, special needs, etc. And at the end, you know, we pray for an hour. We try to keep nobody, and sometimes it go an hour and ten or whatever, but we stay close to an hour. We hand out these sheets in the last 10 or 15 minutes, and we'll say, okay, this side takes salvation, this half right here take, uh, take healing, this half take finances, and this side take special needs. And then everybody either sits there and prays there or goes off and walks off, and we cover all of the church's needs, all the church's requests in those 10 or 15 minutes. Then we come back together and say a closing prayer, and that time we'll do anybody here have a special need. You know, so people say, well, you know, paper taunt so she's in the hospital, you know, something like that, you know. And use this two or three requests, and we pray for them, and then we dismiss. But it's in order, you know. You know the way it's going to work. That's not to say that the hope won't come in, and they're very open, okay. We have an order that we follow, but if I walk in and I tell Dwayne, I said, I have a word. Oh, go, you know. So, but, I, but I'm cognizant of the time, and I'll make sure I don't preach to them for 20 minutes. I take five minutes or 10 minutes at the most. And it's usually something about prayer, a tip on praying, or tip, you know. So that's the way we do it. <clears throat> and, but the whole thing is, is decently and in order, and somebody's in control. And that's the way it needs to happen. So let's see where... We're talking about the prayer of intercession. Um, Then we had the prayer of consecration and dedication. And this is the scripture I quoted was Luke 22, 41 and 42, where Jesus was in the garden of Gethsemane. And he said, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, my will, but not thine. You know, this this was a particular situation where Jesus didn't necessarily want to do in, in, as a man, as he didn't want to go through, he knew he was in for a time of suffering. God revealed him what was going on. But, but he said, nevertheless, my will, your will, not mine. And so we get in a situation of this where, say, for easy information, a pastor, he has two churches he can go to. He has his druthers. He'd rather go to the one that's in Hawaii but he's been assigned, but he also has an offer from Alaska. It's like, well, that's not a real hard decision. But nevertheless, not my will, yours. Which one do you want me to go to, Father? Somebody has a job, a couple of offers of job. Which one? You know, need to be important, uh, cognizant of the fact that when we are praying, if we use the not my will but thine, And it says specifically, and you can point to scriptures, what God wants to do that he's already told us what his will is. I'll supply all of your needs according to my riches and glory through Jesus Christ. He said he's going to supply all of your needs. Not if it's your will. Father, if it's your will to supply my needs, then do so. That's not a great prayer. That's not one, you know, so this situation is, is you put something, God, your will, 
when he's already shown you what his will is. And there are just situations all over in the hospital. Uh, hospital. I work in a hospital. <laughs> all over in the Bible where you clearly know what God's will is because he said it. And so, but when you say, Neither, not my will but yours, then, then that's a prayer that probably won't be answered because he's shown you what his will is. That's one of the situations that we run into all the time. People are like, well, whatever you want, God. But he already said what he wanted. So now you just kind of toss it up in the air and you're just going to get confusion. You know? So, and then the prayer of praise and worship. Luke 2.20, and the shepherds returned glorifying, praising God for all the things they had heard and seen. And it was told unto them. It's just an, uh, just a, an example. Of course, we praise uh, and worship God all the time. We should be. I mean, oftentimes the, the level of, of uh, maturity as a Christian is very much defined by the amount of time that you spend worshiping and praising him. You know, if we can't make time to acknowledge the creator of heaven and earth and all the wonderful things that we have in our lives because of him, then we limit oftentimes what he can do in our lives. You know, it just... Uh, it, it amazes me that you, you see when, when um, this doesn't necessarily have to do with praise and worship, but <clears throat> it amazes me when you see in, uh, talks about Jesus going to his hometown, to Nazareth, correct me if I'm wrong, but he said that there and he could do no mighty work because of their unbelief. So do you know that you can stay the hand of God because of your unbelief? If you don't believe him, he can't work. You know, it says that uh, I, I never can remember where the where the scripture is. I have it written down because I. <laughs> but you think I'd love to quote it that I would remember where it was? But it's talking about in the Old Testament that that uh, that God couldn't move in Israel's uh, on Israel's behalf because they and they and they actually has a that they limited the Holy One because of their unbelief. And it's like, golly. They limited the Holy One, meaning God couldn't work in Israel because they didn't believe Him. So the enemy uses that. He'll constantly throw up, you know, well, you think it's going to work for you this time? And I know he did it last time, but it ain't going to happen this time. And I don't care how long... You've been a Christian and you're walking. The enemy is going to bombard you with doubt and unbelief and questions. And, you know, I mean, he'll just, you know, it's like <clears throat> I can remember my dad got sued one time because my brother got run over. His driving a Vax, uh, Volkswagen got run over by another car and totaled my brother's car. And my dad actually owned it, and he sued the guy or the, because he didn't get any, you know, the guy, insurance couldn't cover it. And so here comes the countersuit, and they denied everything. Denied that Kenneth was my dad's son. Denied, I mean, just on and on. But that's the legal, that's the whole legal system. You know, that's the way they do things. Well, that's what the enemy does. You sure you're born again? Well, wait a minute. He might have done something for you last time, but you, know, you did this last since then. And that negates what God can do in your life. Well, did you get, did you get forgiven? Yeah. Well, then that's, that's not an issue. You got, you got forgiven for that sin or whatever it is. But you see, 
So many times the enemy wants to make it all about what you've done. And what you've done right is you made Jesus the Lord of your, of your life. You've walked in forgiveness. You've asked him to forgive you when you've missed the mark. You're doing your best to serve God. I mean, you guys are, I know that because of your commitment to come out here, you're the, the anchors of this church, the pillars of this church. But the enemy constantly tries to make you think otherwise. And that's, you've got to give him one thing. If you can't admire the devil for anything, you have to admire him because he's a persistent cuss. He just don't give up. But, so, so just a few things here, and then we can uh, oh, just open it up totally to questions. Uh, one of the biggest things that, that, I keep saying one of the biggest things, so you know there's a bunch of big things. One of the things that I think is important is that we have a perception of who we are in the presence of God. That so many people think that they are worms. You know, I'm just an old sinner, forgiven by grace, but I'm a sinner. I never call myself a sinner. I am saved and I am delivered and I am a new creature. I am capable of sinning, but I'm not a sinner. I'm not a sinner. I don't practice sin. I'm not a sinner. But the enemy can make you think that. Then he can make you think all kind of other stuff. He, he tries to constantly get into your psyche. We don't know why, but you know all those crazy thoughts that you have, they're not necessarily yours. The enemy has a way of planting thoughts in our minds. But <clears throat> one of my favorite preachers says, just because a bird sits on your head doesn't mean you need to let him make a nest. Okay? So you just, that's not my thought. I, I refuse to entertain that thought. Because a thought dwelt on usually becomes something acted on. Now Jesus said, take no thought saying. So when you also say something comes in your mind and you start speaking it out, you also brought something into being that probably wouldn't have happened if you hadn't worked on that with your mouth. Because we have the same, we, we, we have the ability to bring things out. You know, the old adage, whatever you want to call it, sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That is the most stupid thing you ever heard in your life. That is one of the things that an enemy's great, the enemy's great tools. Words can tear down, can destroy. You remember years, for years, people, somebody told you something that was hurtful. It sticks with you, but yet your mom and daddy called you beautiful and lovely and sweet all your life. But this one cousin who said, well, you're just an ugly sucker. It just, you know, it sticks, you know. So it's, it's very important that we use our words correctly. But the point that I'm making is, is the enemy wants to make us feel like we're a worm and we're not worthy. But in Hebrews 4.16... He says, therefore, let us come boldly unto the throne of grace, that as a born-again Christian, we have the right to come boldly into Jesus, God, the Holy Spirit, into the throne of grace, because we belong there. Not, you know, crawling, I'm not worthy. He said, come boldly. Someone who comes boldly, you just come crashing in there, hey, Dad, I'm ready. Okay, now we don't want to be flippant with God. We owe him all reverence and respect. But you know, Abba Father is like Daddy. Okay, so 
We belong in the throne room. Jesus, it says in Ephesians that we are seated in heavenly places with him. We belong there. But it says that we come boldly unto the throne of grace of, that we may be obtained mercy and find grace to help in time of need. One of Mary's favorite things when she's praying with people and she says, let me take you to the throne of grace. You find out if they're born again. Are you born again? Yeah, I accepted Jesus. Well, let me take you to the throne of grace. God is here, and he wants to give you mercy, and he wants to give you grace. But you just need to come to the throne. And the same token, when I'm sitting here with this thought in my mind or in, in a, pr- a tone of prayer, now you understand that real prayer is just communication between you and God, that when we do warfare, That's not prayer. That's doing business with the enemy. But we just kind of jumble everything together. That's like these lists that I gave you of prayer of supplication and prayer of agreement. And when you're praying, they kind of all run together. We just define them for you. So, but this is the attitude that I take. I'm in the throne room. I'm with God. I'm bringing my petitions, my needs. I'm interceding for somebody, you know. God, deliver them, whatever. But then I come to a point where I know that the enemy is attacking. Not specifically attacking me right now, but I know the enemy is out there trying to do things. Well, this is what happens. I turn my back to God, not because I'm turning my back on God, but the word says that he is, the word says that he is my rear guard, that he's got my back. So when I'm fussing at the enemy, I'm not looking at God. I'm looking at the enemy. Satan, in the name of Jesus, I take authority over whatever you're doing. I might still be in the throne room, but I'm not looking at the Holy of Holies. I'm not looking at God. I am. I mean, it's just an attitude, okay? I'm sure at the time when we were actually in the Holy of Holies and with God, we're not going to be worried about the enemy. But it's just an attitude. You turn away from God and at the enemy, and you tell the enemy who he is. And you let him know that you're, you know that you have authority over the things that he's doing. And you command him. You bind him and all of his minions. You know that you do realize that you and I have never been faced with Satan. He's one individual. He ain't coming to Irby. He got other big fish to fry. He can only be one place at one time. So he's talking to the Pope. He might be attacking Pastor Bubba. <laughs> You know, he might be packing Pastor Jacob, but there's these minions. He has, we don't know. We know that a third of the angels fell. But we do know that the other two-thirds stayed with God. So they're more, more for us than against us. So it's just an attitude. You take, a, you take authority over that enemy. You speak to him. You know, and it's like, it's, Jesus said, these signs that I do, those things that I do, you'll do greater works. He didn't say that God would do them for you. Now, and, and that's, this is an, another of those things that I learned through the years. When I was younger, I thought it was all about building up my faith. My faith, my faith, my faith, my faith. And I used to have these headaches. Every day I would have a headache. And I walked around with a bottle of aspirin or Tylenol or whatever whatever I had in my pocket because 
They would go away if I took aspirin. And so one day I decided, you know, I've been reading and believing and, you know, working on healing. And it's like, it's just not coming. You know, I mean, what is the deal? Well, I'll tell you what. Today is the day. This stuff either works or it doesn't. So, for, so I said, I'm not taking any more aspirin. In the name of Jesus, I'm healed. For three days, I was the most miserable, ornery person you ever met because couldn't get the headache under control. And it just got worse and worse and worse. And it wasn't like it was a, you know, poor people who have migraines or anything, but it's just it's sinus thing, just pounding right here. So I, I went to sleep one night, and you know the headache kind of faded enough for me to go to sleep. And I just, I don't know if it was a vision, a dream, or just one of those things that kind of happens when you're half between sleep and wake. And I just, just the Lord spoke in my spirit and he says, you're believing that you have enough faith to make this headache go away. If you redirect that and believe that and have faith that I can make that go away, it'll happen. Woke up next morning, no headache. So it's not about, you know, the word does say faith comes by hearing and hearing and hearing. But it, but it's you are building up your faith, but what are you building that faith up in? You're building your faith up in God, not in you. Whenever it's about me, it doesn't work. Whenever it's about me, it doesn't work. And so, and that's, that's a real important thing about prayer. We have to be careful about how we do things because if anything is about you, I have to give a word, I have to prophesy, I have to, then it's not about God, it's about you. So there's a fine line we work. Now you need to be bold enough to step up and say, I do have a word. But it's not because you want everybody to know, I got it. I'm the one with the word. You know, it's because you want everybody who's standing in this <clears throat> congregation, in our prayer group, to hear what God said that it's important that you get that importation because he gave it to me to give to you because he doesn't speak out loud to us anymore. He does. I mean, you know, like I said before, we can't say that God can't do anything, but he uses people. So if you want to be that fluid conduit that God can work through, then be a humble conduit, you know. And when somebody says, Don, I have a word. Don says, not yet. Don't be offended. God God, you know, it's like, it's like having pastors, you know. Pastor is a man, and he has his failings. Don't tell, don't tell him I said that. But he knows that. But he is anointed to be your pastor. And God has anointed him to teach you and to encourage you and to pastor you. And God will tell him things for you because you're his pastor, because he's your pastor. Not because he wants to lord it over you, but because God has called him to do that. So it's the same thing. You walk into prayer, it's like Don, myself, you know, might not be ready for you to give a word. But if you submit it to me, he says, no, there's your chance to not be offended. Because offense can really destroy things in a church. But it's always our ability to receive the offense or to push it away. You might not like it, but it's like just keep it away from you and it will keep order and it will keep everybody 
happy. So, all right, I think, uh, I think that's enough. It's 12. I'm sorry. Any questions? Yes. Say, uh, no. Right. Oh, oh. It, that doesn't always work in the altar scenario. Well, I, I'm, I'm going to tell you what, what we found, and we've tell you this in freedom also, that even altar prayer is a 911 prayer. It's not the place to start counseling people, especially... It's one of those things you just have to use a little common sense and the spirit of God. If they're the only one who's up there, then maybe you can take a little bit of time with them. But if you've got five people deep waiting on all four or five prayers, it's like we're going we're gonna to do like a good ER. We're going to treat the symptoms, and then you need to either follow up with the pastor or your group leader or somebody who can give you more counseling or more information. But we're going to take care of whatever's going on right now. So it's, you cannot, in, in the altar scenario, minister to their past history. You know, you can't listen for 20 minutes to everything that happened to them that brought them to this point. They just need to get to the point, and you might have to give them some direction. You know, it's like, okay, I, I, yeah, thanks for sharing all that, but there's people behind us, so just what can we pray for you right now for to just stop this thing, to help you deal with this thing. And then maybe later you, you can call somebody, call your group leader or call the office and they can, they can let somebody who does counseling uh, give you a call. You know, but we're, we're here to take care of immediate needs, uh, 911 situation. I mean, it doesn't always work. It's not a hard, fast rule, but anything else? Yes, ma'am. Mm-hmm. And so you stand in the gap and you say, I accept that for so and so. Is that really uh, something that is made up? Or is it well, uh, her, her question was that oftentimes that she's heard in different services talking about um, standing in the gap for somebody else. And we, we, you know, what do you say about that? I mean, you know, we have people who come in and says, I need to pray for my, my daughter who's having surgery and they're not there and so we say well you want to stand in proxy for them which is standing in a gap you know I mean that concept I mean God God said that he needs a watchman on the wall I mean you know and the watcher is watching but he's praying over everybody so you know and that's almost what intercessory prayer is too standing in the gap for somebody they don't know what's going on they they may not even you know many times they're not even born again so you're standing in the gap and you're praying for them and you're saying God give them grace give them grace so that they can have more time to hear for somebody to come across their path to speak into them to minister to them so yeah that's a very valid concept in Christianity is praying standing in the gap yeah and anything else 
Say again. A sample prayer. Okay. Or what, standing in the gap? No, just a sample prayer in general. Like okay. Somebody comes up with a problem. Okay. Yeah, uh, I mean, you know, somebody comes up to me and says, uh, um, my finances are a mess. You know, if I don't have $500 by the end of this month, I, I'm going to lose my car. And I don't have a job. Ooh, boy. So, well, you know, I don't think that God has a problem with money. Most of the time it's, you know. So at that point in time, all, I'm, all I can really focus on is, I mean, I, I don't have $500 to give them. And you don't want to start that because then you, you know, it's a whole different rigor, rigmarole. You know, oh, let me give you $500, God. You know, but once again, don't stay the hand of God. If God speaks up to you and says, I think you need to meet that need then you better be obedient. That's another whole different topic. But anyway, so, so this person comes up and says, I need $500 or I'm going to lose my car. I need my car to go to work. I need my car to go to church. I need my car to bring my kids to school. I need this car and I need this money. And I have no idea where it's going to come from. And my prayer, first one, I say, well, we know, first off, God doesn't have any money in heaven. It's all on earth. But we know that it says in your word, in his word, that he wants to supply all of your need. And caveat, I'll always ask him, are you born again? Unless I personally know them. Are you born again? Yes, I'm born again. Okay, then you qualify. <laughs> I, I take a totally different tact if they weren't born again. I said, well, you know, can I introduce you to somebody? Do you know Jesus? And I'd say, no. I said, well... You know, there's kind of a different scenario here. You know, it's like, so, do you want to get born again? No, not really. So, well, you know, but they still qualify, okay? They're not disqualified because they aren't born again. What happens is, is now they're in the realm of God performing a miracle to prove to them that he's God. So in that scenario, I'd say, okay, you know, the God that I serve is a God who loves people. And he performed miracles through Jesus. Well, he performed miracles throughout the Bible. But as Jesus, Jesus never asked anybody, are you born again? He always said, what do you need? Your faith has made you whole. Just all kind of different things that he said, but he never asked them if they were born again. So what I would pray with this person is, Father, I just stand before you with Bill. And I thank you that your word says that you supply all of our needs according to his riches and glory. And I'd ask that because I am taking him to you, that you would provide the money that he needs to show him that you're a God who loves him, that you would provide for him even though he doesn't have a relationship with you because you love him, and that it would be a sign to him that you are real. And that you would do that in Jesus' name. Simple, easy prayer, not hard, but boy, it affects them. It's like, and especially when they come back to church two weeks later and said, somebody met me on the street and said that, they, that God told them to give me $500. Or so-and-so 
I saw so-and-so, and they owed me $500, but I ain't been able to find the sucker to get it from him, and he had my $500. Like, now he's in church because he found out that God really does answer prayer. And if it's a brother or a sister who's born again, I still take them to the, you know, that this is where I say, well, come on, let's go to the throne room. Father, your word says that we can come boldly to your throne room for grace and mercy in a time of need. So I take John to the throne room. We stand before you. And we agree in the name of Jesus, according to your word, as touching anything, that you will supply him with the $500 that he needs for his car. We don't know where you're going to get it, Father, but we know that you're a mighty God and that you have done things that are miraculous throughout creation. So we ask that you bring it to him. And I ask in the name of Jesus that it would be obvious that this is something that you have done that you've worked it out in his life, and I believe that I receive it as done as I pray in the name of Jesus. And there may be a little more words than that, depending on my relationship with them and if I know them or anything else.